Amen. Let's take God's word together this morning, if you would please, and turn to the New Testament book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, we're going to continue where we began a number of weeks ago at considering the principles of the doctrine of Christ. And we began last week at considering this beautiful doctrine of faith, faith toward God. And we'll continue looking at this subject. Romans chapter 3. I want you to remember the Rooney family in your prayers. It's just a year ago today that Felix Rooney was laid to rest. And at 12 o'clock, they'll be having a memorial service. The headstone will go up. I've been told that Paul Donnelly will be speaking, so please remember him and Coralie, especially in your prayers as well. Felix was very, very near and dear to them. So let's just stop. Let's pray and pray for this time around the word. And I'll also pray for the Rooney family at this time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before Thee again today in the name of Thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank Thee for the words that we've just sung, that there is a secret place where we can meet with Thee, where all of our burdens and cares can be placed at Thy feet. We ask, Lord, that as we bring our burdens to Thee, we may be assured again and again that Thou carest for us. Help us to believe, Lord, that when we cast our cares upon Thee, we shall be sustained by Thee. We thank Thee, Lord, for this promise and so many other promises that come to us in our time of need from Thy Word. We pray, Lord, for the Rooney family at this time as they gather around the grave of of dear Felix. And we pray that this family may know much grace and peace at this time. We pray especially for Patty and Kathleen, the father and mother of Felix, we ask of the Lord, be near to them as they grieve the loss of their son. We pray, Lord, that today would be a day when they are each brought closer to Jesus Christ, the good shepherd of our souls. We do remember Paul Donnelly today as he speaks. Give him unction, Lord, help him. May he speak comforting words that would point people to Jesus Christ. Be with he and Coralie at this time, especially as they Mourn the loss of Felix. Be near to them, we pray, Lord. Help us as we open this book. We believe it to be thy word. We're assured of it, Lord. And we wish to be grounded and established, not in our word or in our thought, not in some false sense of security. We wish, Lord, to be grounded and established upon thy eternal word. Help us now, we pray. Lead us and guide us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Continuing this thought of faith, if you remember in Hebrews chapter 5, the exhortation was given that we need to be taught again the first principles of the oracles of God. It was really in many ways a, a rebuke. We should be further along, but we're not, and we need to be taught again. And we began many weeks ago to consider the principles of the doctrine of Christ, looking first at the foundation of repentance from dead works, and then last week, beginning to look at faith toward God. And continuing with this doctrine, we consider today the most beautiful, or one of the most beautiful doctrines, the doctrine of justification by faith. Justified. It's an interesting word today. Justified means to be acquitted from guilt. To be declared righteous. And I don't know about you, but I think we all long to be made right 
to be declared righteous, to be acquitted from guilt. And in our text in Romans 3 that our brother Tommy read a moment ago, we have a number of things to draw your attention to. The first is a universal problem. There is a universal dilemma in all the world today, and no one can escape it. Look at our text in Romans chapter 3. In fact, verse after verse after verse explains this problem. Verse number 9 says, What then are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. We've got a problem in the world today. We are all under sin. Nobody is exempt. Just in case you misunderstand, he says in the next verse, as it is written, there is none righteous. Not only are we all under sin, but not one of us are righteous. No, not one. And it goes on. There is none that understandeth. Sometimes we think we understand, don't we? None is right. All are under sin. None understand. None seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now that's quite a sweeping statement. This is a universal problem. No matter how good somebody looks or how smooth they speak, we are all, all of us, guilty. He elaborates even more. All of us, their throat is an open sepulcher. That's a tomb. Our throat is an open grave. Think about the morbid picture of that. Our mouth, every time we open it, death comes out. Our throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they have used deceit. They, the poison of asp, that's a serpent. The poison of serpents is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace have they not known. That's all of us. All of us. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And if there was a fear of God before our eyes, these things wouldn't be so true. This is a problem that all of us have. All, none, 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 all, none, no, not one. And the Bible says in verse number 19, this is true. We know that uh, whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every, watch this, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. This is the reality of humanity. And you can go any, to any church in the whole world, go to any religious people in the whole world, and we are all guilty before God. Sometimes we like to imagine we're not quite so bad as other people, but at the end of the day, we're all guilty. All of us. Before Almighty God, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And to make matters worse, look here for a second. We know we're not right. 
And because we know we're not right, we're always trying to justify ourselves. Because to justify, if you remember, it means to be acquitted from guilt and to be declared righteous. And we do not like to feel guilty. We do not like the reality that we are guilty. And so we're always trying to justify ourselves. We're always trying to declare ourselves to be righteous. And that is even worse. It just adds insult to injury. Not only have we sinned, not only have we lived such clear in such clear opposition to God, but then we try to cover it up. Totally unrighteous. And we know it because the Bible says the law has revealed it to us. The law, God gave us the law so that we might know just how unrighteous we are. That's what Paul said in Galatians 3. You may remember Galatians 3 verse 22, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. You see, the law was given by God to reveal the truth about who we are. That's why God gave the law. God didn't, some people think, well, we got to try to keep the law to make God happy. The law was given and God knew that no man could keep the law. In fact, it says, by the law shall no man be justified. I had a telephone call earlier this week from someone who I've never met before. And um, his faith says that we must all become Jewish, Israelites. And we must keep the law or we'll never make it to God and never make it to heaven. The problem is he just doesn't understand. He's put himself beneath a curse. Because no man can keep the law. The law was given not so that we might keep it and earn our way to God because we were good boys and good girls and, and lived unto perfection. The law was given by the grace of God to show us that we're in trouble. It's a schoolmaster. And the schoolmaster stands before his pupils and tells his pupils, this is correct. All along you've been doing it wrong. The law is revealed to us. But naturally, no one wants to acknowledge their sin. We know we are sinners. We are convinced of the law that we are just as wicked as anyone else. And we know we need justification. And we want justification. We want to be declared righteous. We don't like being guilty. But the problem is when we try to justify ourselves... We try to prove our innocence. We try to prove our righteousness by justifying our behavior, attempting by our own words to declare ourselves to be righteous, attempting to, be, to acquit ourselves of the guilt of our sin. What an insult to grace. What further condemnation we deserve when we seek the path of self-justification or self-righteousness can't be done okay if we're all under sin if we're all in the same boat a big sinking boat 
a boat that has been proven by the law of God to be a boat of failure. And we cannot fix it. No matter how good we try to be, no matter how, how, how very upright we walk, no matter how carefully we try to live, if we cannot make ourselves right, then is there any solution? Is there an answer? Because so far it looks pretty hopeless. So far, it looks like we're all condemned, only adding to our condemnation because we know we need to be justified and trying to justify ourselves and only making it worse. Is there an answer? If our righteousness isn't going to do it, is there another righteousness? Is there a righteousness that I can borrow? Is there a righteousness that I can have? That would replace my unrighteousness? The answer is found in our text in verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God, without the law, is manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. There is a righteousness that is needed today, and it's not yours. It's His. The righteousness of God. Now you just stop for a moment and think about what that even means. In fact, go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. There is a righteousness that you and I do not have, but we can have. And it's not yours. You can't earn it. You can't make yourself righteous. It's somebody else's righteousness that we need. And if you look around the tent and try to find the most upright person that you can in here, even their righteousness isn't good enough. You may try to find someone that you think is really spiritual, that you think is really godly, and they might be truly and indeed very spiritual and very godly. But even their righteousness is not enough. But the righteousness of God. What does the Bible say about God? A God who is holy. A God who is not like us. A God who cannot sin. A God who cannot lie. A God whose mouth is not an open tomb or an open grave. A God who does not work deceitfully. A God who is just and upright. A God who is perfect. That's the kind of righteousness we need. No guile, no deceit. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Because God's the only one that is true. There is a righteousness that can be found and it's a righteousness that nobody's ever seen in a person except one. Because the righteousness of God was fully revealed to us when Jesus Christ stepped on this earth. 
And the Bible tells us in the Word of God, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past by, unto the fathers by the prophets. If you remember in Romans 3, it said that the righteousness of God was manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law speaks of the righteousness of God because the law says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, and do this, showing unto us the holiness of God, the absolute perfection of God that no man can ever attain. The law screams that God is righteous. And the prophets did the same. The prophets stood before the people of God and said, thus saith the Lord. The law testified of the, of the righteousness of God. The prophets testified of the righteousness of God. But in these days, there's somebody who speaks louder than the law and than the prophets. In these days that we live now, the scriptures say, in these last days has spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he hath made the world. And it's through the son of God that God's righteousness has been fully and clearly revealed unto us. 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes of this and says in verse number 22, a beautiful verse. Verse 21, even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to that him that judgeth righteously who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Jesus Christ who knew no sin. Jesus alone is righteous. He bears, he carries for us on public display the righteousness of God. The Bible says he was in all points tempted, just like we are, but yet without sin. The Lord Jesus walked this planet. He became a man, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, became a man, walked on the same ground that we walk on, went through the same things that we go through, and yet he never sinned. Think about that. Every trial, every trouble. And he never sinned. Never sinned. Never opened his mouth in an inappropriate way. Always responded correctly. I've never met somebody like that of you. Jesus is righteous. God is the only one who's righteous. So here's the question. How do we, who are altogether unrighteous, wretched, twisted, conniving, evil-hearted men and women, how do we ever get His righteousness? How does that happen? It begins with one word. Grace. Grace. You don't get it because you deserve it. The only thing you and I deserve is the wrath of God. The only thing you and I deserve is to be stood before a judge and to be declared unrighteous, guilty. We know that. That's why we constantly try to justify ourselves because we know we're guilty. We don't get God's righteousness because we deserve it. If you ever get it, it's because you need it. 
And it all begins with one word, grace. Something that I confess many of us, including myself, know so very little of today. In our text in Romans 3 and verse 24, Paul says, being justified, there it is, made right with God, being acquitted from all of our guilt, being justified freely. I love that word freely, don't you? You don't pay for it. You don't put your money in the collection bag on your way out or put your coins there in the way out. That way you can buy your justification. No, no, no. If we're going to be made right with God, it'll be done freely. You will not purchase it. or Otherwise, it wouldn't be of him. It would be of us. Being justified freely by his grace. If you want to be made right today before Almighty God, if you want all of your sin to be acquitted, if you want to be able to stand before the judge of all the earth, and by the way, every one of us will one day stand before the judge of all the earth. And unless you have been justified on that day, you will be declared guilty because now we're guilty. But the only way to be made right with God is through this door of grace. God said here, I know you're guilty. I know you're in trouble. You're condemned. Here's the way out. Grace. Titus tells us the same thing. Titus chapter 3. Let me read it for you. In verse number 7. That being justified, verse number five, not by works of righteousness that we have done. There it is again, not by your righteousness, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It all begins with grace. If I'm going to be made right with God, it's not going to be because I deserve it. It's going to be because I need it. And God in His grace and in His mercy has opened the door so we could be made right with Him. Grace gives us the law, first of all, that shows us that we are in trouble. And then grace sent the Lord Jesus Christ to show us God's righteousness in the perfect way He lived And then grace sent that same Lord Jesus Christ to the cross to be penalized, to be judged for the sins that we have committed. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, being justified freely by his grace. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You know what happened? Jesus lived a perfect life to show you the righteousness of God, to show you how far off we really are. Every time I look at the life of Jesus Christ, I hang my head in shame. Because I'm so far from who he is. But he didn't just come to live a perfect life. He came then to take my place. He came to take my unrighteousness, although he never sinned. Although he never told a lie, although he never stole, although he never committed murder, although he never blasphemed, although he was never disobedient to God the Father, to his earthly parents, he never sinned, and yet he took my sin and your sin upon himself. 
and was judged guilty. Not guilty because of what he did, but guilty because of what you and I did. And with his own blood, that's what redemption is. Redemption is being purchased, being bought, being rescued. With his own blood, he paid the price that I and you should pay. The Bible says in verse 25, whom God has set forth, meaning Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness. Propitiation is the covering of our sin. Look here for a moment. How could God ever look at us who are, who are so unrighteous, so unholy, so twisted and black inside? How could he ever look at us and say, you're free? You're actually right. How could he do that? Only after our sins have been covered. And our sins were covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Some people think we can live in this world and if we do enough good things, it'll outweigh the bad things and some, somehow cancel out the bad. That just doesn't work. And you know it doesn't work. It doesn't work in a court of law. You ever seen a criminal stand before a judge and say, look, judge, I know I robbed the bank, but don't worry. I gave some of that to the poor. I gave it to my mother who's not, not going to work. You're still guilty. And you can do all the good in the world you want to do. I'm not that bad of a person. All the good you try to do will never erase the bad. But the blood of Jesus, if it be applied, if it be applied to your heart, will cover your sins so that when God looks at you, he no longer sees you as unjust. He no, no longer looks at you as unrighteous. He no longer sees you that way, but instead he sees the blood of his own son and his righteousness. Now, this is amazing. God would take your unrighteousness off of you or every sin you ever committed and are going to commit. Every sin you will ever commit. Take it off of you and put it on his son. And then he took the righteousness of himself and put it on you. So that when God looks at, Christ, at you, he sees the righteousness of his own son. His own righteousness. He sees one who never sinned, one who was never even a sinner, one who could not sin. And when he looked at his son on that dreadful day 2,000 years ago, he didn't look on his son, he looked on our sins. That's what took place on Calvary. There's an amazing, amazing passage. Look what it says there in verse 25. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins. You know what that means? Remission of sins? That means passing over our sins. I want you to turn with me to Leviticus in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. How could God ever pass over my sin? He's, he knows everything. Doesn't even make sense. How could a God who sees everything, knows everything, hears everything ever pass over my sin? I'll tell you why. There's only one way he could ever do it. That's if our sin was removed. Because as long as my sin is still on me, as long as my sin is still on my account, then he sees it. But if my sin could be taken away, then he could look on me and see me as righteous. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 16, do you remember what, do you remember what, uh, Paul wrote, the righteousness of God was manifest through the law and the prophets. Here's an example of that. 
Leviticus 16, verse number 7, He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goats upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. Someone had to die. Blood had to be shed. But the goats on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat. Can I just tell you, in these two goats we see Jesus. They say, hold on, I thought Jesus was the lamb. He is, and we're the goats. The Lord Jesus was slaughtered like a goat, like we should be. Not only that, but we see another picture. Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. Verse 10, but the goat on which he presented on, on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Verse 20. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat, and Aaron shall lay both his hands, watch this, Aaron shall lay both of his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let the goat, let go the goat into the wilderness. Do you know what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary? God Almighty took your sins, he put his hands upon the head of Jesus Christ and laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He put upon Christ all our sin, all our unrighteousness, all our iniquity, and the Lord Jesus bore it all away. Isaiah 53, you know the beautiful passage. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He takes it away. Gone. Micah tells us in the Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 17, verse number 18, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, that passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth, God delights in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And if he puts your sin in the sea, he doesn't see it anymore. It's gone. Psalm chapter 103 and verse number 12. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. God didn't see it anymore. It's gone. It was put upon the head of Jesus Christ and he took it to an uninhabited land that we shall never ever see. Gone. So how does this become my story? How does, how do I, how do I get that? How is it that Jesus takes my sin and I take his righteousness? How does that happen? Another little word found in our text in Romans chapter 3 and verse 28. This is really the thought that set Martin Luther free. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith. By faith. Again, he tells us very plainly in verse number 22, for the righteousness, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. If you would by faith this morning look to Jesus who took your sin and believe that yes, your sin was laid upon him and his righteousness was laid upon you. If this morning by faith you would believe that Christ died for you, then you will be justified made right with Almighty God unto all them and upon all them that believe. Because John 3 verse 18 says, He that believeth is not condemned. And you know what that means? You never shall be. He that believeth is not condemned. Because my sin's been taken away. And when my sin was taken away, all of my sin was taken away. Because if you remember, I wasn't alive 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross. So when Christ died upon the cross of Calvary, all of my sins at that present moment were future sins. So if you think, but what if I sin again? All of your sin has been laid on him. He's already taken it all away. It's gone. Forgiven. Washed. He that believeth is not. It doesn't say he that believeth shall not be condemned. He is not. Right now. And never shall be. Never. Romans 5. Therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God. Eternal peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And every once in a while Satan whispers in your ear. Oh but you are a sinner. You can remind him, he that believeth is not condemned. Sometimes your own sin rises up against you. Your own face in the mirror condemns you. You can remind yourself, he that believeth is not condemned. The blood of Jesus cleanseth us from how much? All our sin. All our sin. Do you believe it? Faith. Grace opened the door. Faith lets us walk in. By grace, God opened the door through His own dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, all that was accomplished on the cross of Calvary, and faith says, stand up, that's for you. Faith says, get up and walk through the door, that's for you. I wonder, do you believe? There are so many verses about faith, aren't there? So many verses about 
believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, about trusting in Him. And even in our own text here, we've looked at it by faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified, made right with God, acquitted of all guilt by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? That's what I should have said to that friend on the telephone this week. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law by faith. This morning, maybe you're wrestling with your own unrighteousness. And for a long time, maybe you've been trying to convince yourself you're not as bad as you think you are and you're not as bad as as the voice inside you tells you that you are. Maybe for a long time, you've been trying to convince yourself you're not that bad. But let me just tell you, you are. So am I. We all are. And as soon as you can acknowledge that, as soon as you can admit that and come to terms that we are all, we're all under sin. That none is righteous. As soon as you can get there, the better off you'll be. So stop trying to justify yourself. Let's get there. But don't stop there. Because God has revealed something to us in the gospel. He's revealed a righteousness that we don't have, that we know we need. That's found in Jesus Christ. And that righteousness can become your righteousness because of what Christ did on the cross. If you would turn, stop trying to justify yourself and look unto the Lamb of God, which taketh away, has already taken away our sins and believe on Him. Rest on Him. Trust Him that He did it all, that every sin was taken away. Every sin. Trust Him. By faith. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Our Father, we give thanks unto Thee that there is a righteousness that can be had, a righteousness that can be found, one that would make it possible for us to come to Thee a righteousness that would allow us when we leave this world to spend eternity in thy presence. Father, we praise thee that that righteousness was revealed in Jesus Christ. We praise thee for the law, Lord. Oh God, we thank thee that in mercy the law was given to show us just how unrighteous we are. Lord, I pray for the one even even now who's trying to convince themselves, even now, trying to convince themselves that they're not that bad, that they're okay. Show them, Lord. Show them that there is none righteous. No, not one. But show them, Lord, that they could be. They could be made righteous. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We praise thee for Jesus, our Savior, for the redemption through his blood. We thank thee for the atonement that covers all our sins. We thank thee for the remission of our sins. How in mercy and in love you passed over our sins because our Savior bore them in his body 
and took them far from us. We praise thee, Lord, that thou hast cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Remove them from us as far as the east is from the west. Now we can be justified by faith. I pray, Lord, that even now this morning, thy Holy Spirit would work in someone's heart here, maybe in someone's heart who's watching, and save their soul. Bring them to these truths. Help them to see that justification can only happen by faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We give these things to thee now and commit them into thy hands. In Jesus Christ's name we 